Yeah, so thanks obviously very much for uh, for joining me today, obviously on um, on our obviously um, live kind of podcast recording. Um, obviously a, a really key topic um, amongst you know businesses and, and hiring managers alike is to, to how to um, yeah remain um, unbiased during interview process, hiring process, etc. Uh, it's something that's coming more frivolent every day. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been in recruitment 10 years as a, one of the co-founders over here at Amicus. And yeah, I think that, you know, this is such a, a hot topic and something that a lot of us are so passionate about. So uh, we've got a number of people joining us today. Um, so first and foremost, as I say, I'm, I'm sure and I'm one of the, I'll um, just let the panel introduce himself. I'm sure and I'm one of the directors over here at Amicus. Um, yeah, we've been established for sort of six years and we've got sort of 35 staff now um, across the UK, um, Germany and, and the US. Um, yeah, but obviously DNI and um, yeah, unconscious biases is, is something I'm super passionate about as well. So um, as a panelist, Gavin, do you want to start obviously introduce yourself and then we'll go to Leo and Victor as well? Yeah, no problem. Uh, hi, I'm Gav. Uh, I've been a web developer since the 90s a full-time uh, people manager since 2015. And last year I started consulting. Um, I'm kind of trying to bootstrap into some kind of fractional directive engineering slash content creator about leadership. And what I find that means is that I'm reckoning with all the weaknesses of being a, a independent small business owner, cycling and sales and marketing and all that fun stuff that um, has nothing to do with what I really want to do. Um, my mission is to transform tech by supporting people from underrepresented groups into leadership. And I'm especially passionate about disability, neurodivergence, and diversity. Perfect. Thanks so much for the intro. Uh, Leo, will you, just, um, will you just give us a quick intro into, into yourself, if that's okay? Uh, yes, I'm Leah. Um, I am a software engineer um, and co-founder of um, my latest startup attempt. Um, I've worked in a lot of different companies over the years um, and in between many of them tried to build my own products, start my own business, and I'm determined this time it's going to work. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've worked, um, I've worked everywhere from um, sort of, you know, junior developer up to CTO um, and yeah, built a fair number of products from scratch, been involved in a lot of different hiring, um, like team leadership, which is probably where my passion truly lies, which means I've it's a slightly, slightly difficult route to get there. <laughs> got to build up yeah. a company before, before I can get a team out but yeah no I think like for, for me hiring um hiring teams leading people um is certainly like a really big passion of mine and um I think you know to to build anything effectively you need diversity and diversity of thinking perfect yeah and, and fingers crossed for the, for the startup I've got everything crossed that <laughs> works out as well I'm sure I'm sure it will I'm sure it will um Victor do you just want to give us a, a quick overview of yourself as well Yes, of course. Uh, I'm Victor, uh, but everyone calls me V. My pronouns are him. I'm currently the head of engineering at HER, uh, one of the biggest LGBTQ um, dating apps for women. Um, my career has been also a bit long now. I started as well as a, as a top developer, put myself through uni, did a lot of jobs in IT from uh, level one support up to right now being head of engineering. Um, uh, CTO, is a bit of an overlap there. Um, um, Backend developer, many, many years. I love it, uh, but I love as well working with people, helping as well, like push forward um, diversity and equity inclusion for everyone. I think the industry is 
have a long stride to go and I'm doing my best for it. I'm super passionate. I love to be in leadership positions because it enables me to help and also give me the enough challenges in my day to day to keep myself busy. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Thanks so much. And so, yeah, great intros. Obviously, super experienced in in the technology field, which is which is great. And as I say, I think um, all four of us share a share a great passion for um, yeah uh, avoiding an unconscious bias when hiring, uh, which is the obviously the topic of today. So, um, ju- just that, just asking you all then. So. What, what do you believe like the strategy is for, for businesses to kind of adopt and a more kind of progressive and inclusive hiring process? Um, yeah, to obviously, you know, remain unconscious. What do you believe that to be? I don't know if anyone wants to start. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll go I first. Can, uh, oh, go ahead, Leah. Go ahead, Leah. <laughs> finally, two people at the same time. Um, yeah, uh, I think like the obviously the first thing is like you need to want to um and you need you know you need the from the top down you need it to be a big priority so um you know a lot of people sort of kind of say they want diversity but you've got to really make it a big priority and make it um kind of the almost like the number one priority in your hiring process um and and you almost have to kind of throw everything out the window that um that you've currently got and like start from scratch from a diversity first perspective um and and yeah like really commit to um yeah, really, really commit to that that approach. Um, I think that's the first step, really. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you, yeah, I think you were going to jump in there, weren't you, Gareth? I've obviously got a couple of points on that, but do, do, do we, were you going to say something similar, or? I think so. Like um, for me, the um, and I'm, I'm developing an acronym. Yeah, I think uh, transparency, efficiency, and adaptability really making the whole process visible, how it works, like, especially for candidates, but also for people involved in the process, like a lot of clarity about how decisions get made. Efficiency, because the six stage interviews, like hours and hours and hours of work is draining for all kinds of people. And then adaptability, being able to change the process to work with the individual to do to accept neurodivergence to accept like different um uh, abilities different uh free time that kind of stuff but still come out with a good process yeah have you got anything on that victor yes i think like uh on those points uh Gavin and Leah said they are really important you have to want to do a, a diverse uh and fair process for everyone right but also you have to make enough accommodations i'm leaning always towards to try to humanize the the interviewing process as much as possible like i found that that gives like a really good start to it and starting with obviously fighting the unconscious bias that we are going to talk about it and it's like the hardest part but i think that having a standardized process that you can follow and that's every process right you don't need to be like sticking to it every time you always have to consider that no, there is a not uh, a one size fit all. You have to be willing to as well look at your own processes because process itself are biased by design. You process, you make a process for interviewing, and then someone that have a different requirement, say like neurodivergency, differently able, able, etc. And you have to be willing to put the effort as well on your side to say like I'm gonna just throw away this thing. For example, a lot of companies they don't send you beforehand the task or or the questions, right? And someone you need to be like, oh I'm gonna break my process because this person uh it will perform better in the interview and that performance will 
level the field by setting the questions beforehand or like having just making sure that all the processes is asked before like okay do you have any anything that we need to be aware so make sure that that call is gonna work uh work well for you and i think that's the the part of the humanization right seeing the process as like a tool and the people as the component and the diversity at the core of like i'm gonna do this for everyone and you know for everyone can succeed at this process yeah do, 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 just touching on that point great point do, do you um are you almost saying then that you should before the interview process and application process begins almost have make a bespoke kind of process for that individual or are you kind of saying like there the should be you, you should give somebody maybe options of how to approach mm -hmm. a, a hiring process an individual rather than like you said have a process because that always already is bias in itself is that what you're mm -hmm. kind of saying yeah, I think like having a process that you can stick to it is really is really good because process give you the the pace and give you the structure and establish fairness, right? But it's very very unlikely we are going you are going to foresee the circumstances of like maybe hundred candidates you are going to interview for a process. So you should be looking at the process but put the human first, right? A human first, human over process, and when you start the pipeline, you know, in your disclosure of like, hey, great, we got your CV, thank you for applying. The interview is going to be like this format we are going to do this but if you have any requests please contact us and then if someone has any request given whatever it is you have a process to you know try to accommodate and then you have yeah. a process you can follow like probably like the major the biggest the uh all the time or almost all the time and if you need to accommodate you are flexible enough to say like okay the process is not going to work for this person we have to look at an alternative because yeah. you know it's, it's a lot imagine that you have to interview someone with um i don't know a speech uh a speech impediments and it's a in-person interview and the process does not have flexibility with it what are you going to do right or these kind of these kind of things yeah yeah so i mean I think outside of just the like um sort of actual kind of disabilities um element of things as well like people think differently and people operate differently so like there are interview strategies that companies will just sort of by default apply and i like i know you know as a woman in tech like i i approach problem solving differently to most men and a lot of these interview processes. i mean i know i've gone to interviews where it's basically like have you consumed google like no i have not and i freeze on the spot if you ask me like quick fire questions it's not that i don't know the information it's that i can't relay it to you in an interview situation um, whereas if you sit down and have me solve problems with you I'll probably perform a lot better and so i think you know having having different options for people um to allow them to like a feel comfortable and b shine in their own ways rather than feeling like they're being put on the spot and like expected to fail almost yeah yeah i, I think I, I obviously you know as you can probably expect i've worked with many different businesses and i think the lack of um, adaptability and in interview processes is something that i always try and harp on to clients about like they just most clients just have what this is our process if you don't want to do that process see you later kind of approach but mm -hmm. kind of like you're saying be oh we're really inclusive and we're you know really you know have an unbiased approach and that doesn't actually formulate 
um, what they're actually saying. So I, I completely agree. Um, even like a, a tech test, could you, there's loads of different ways to do a technical test, but you know, one company just has one way, well, why not, can we not give candidates a, a different option? Um, have you kind of seen that work well in practices? Have you kind of seen it work, work well? Uh, I don't know if you're doing it currently or what, what have you seen work well, I suppose, in that? Uh, for the technical test, you mean, or for just, like, just in gen, just in just in general, what yeah. you see maybe work well? Yeah, just in general, I, I have a very good results to being like straightforward about what what is the process, and if the process will be a uh, a good one for the person interviewing. Just it, it takes an email, really. It, it's just like it's it's such a little effort. It's such a meaningful thing, right? But and it just start to signal the, the signal that you are not do, you doing DI, DI as a as a PR stunt and you are really into it and you start not even when they join the company you are starting when you reach the first time so giving those options and people being able to say like oh I will love to do this and that I have several experience and I'm gonna comment uh, with because it involves person real people that they have like their process adjusted, but I have very good results. I have people through all these processes and their feedback has been always like, this is one of the most human, most effective recruitment process because I've been asked, you know, and I've been listened or seen and, you know, act accordingly. So they give, they give them like that because it's basically you are leveling the field. I mean, if they, you know, and especially obviously about the diversity of thinking that I was talking, but if it's something besides that, like it's, because that is for every individual, right? But if something outside that, you these people are in a disadvantage with a very strict process. So when you level the field, you find that diversity, you find that brilliant people that in a normal a corporate or very rigid process, they will not be able to succeed. And at the end of the day, you don't interview people to make them fail, right? You, make, you interview people with the hopes of, succeed yeah i, I want to throw down something that i've had like pushback for uh on uh pre-sharing your interview questions like sending it to candidates before the interview instead of surprising them with them in the interview like what do you all think of that i have no problem yeah neither i think yeah i think that's a good idea i think just allowing anybody to prepare ahead of time can only be a good thing um and again I, like i think some of it is just like understand what you're trying to get from that i think like the more you can make people feel comfortable the more you're going to get the best out of them like i think even calling something a tech test makes some people very nervous like a lot of you know a lot of people did not test well in school so as soon as you're calling it a tech test like some people are going to really like freeze up and i think you know so, so much around removing the bias and and opening up to inclusivity is you know it's, it's your language and and like you know even even down to your job spec like you know what is your job spec saying who is it turning away before you've even got them in the door um and and you know the more transparent you can be on um both what you know what you're looking for and also you know um as as v said like if you can um you know if, if you are in a position where you ha like have lots of options um for like that high you know for the hiring process say that as early as the job spec, make sure every recruiter you're working with is telling that to candidates and say like, you know, this is not prescriptive. So if something doesn't work for you, please be open. Like we're not trying to, we're not setting you up to fail. Like we want to get to know you. Yeah, I, I think um, I was laughing at a couple of points because um, firstly, I think most interview process designed to try and make people fail. 
it's completely for me the wrong way to to ever go about recruitment right you're high, you you're recruiting because you want to hire whereas most people kind of design interview approach for people to fail first and foremost which yeah it, it is kind of the wrong mentality for me um and secondly the, the other point where you're telling people that asking them questions even as a recruiter if i'm working with half of a client and a candidate the amount of times where i ask it and maybe we've asked the client can you share some some um, tips on you know some what is the interview going to entail and it's so like blase it's almost seems like they don't want to give anything away to the candidates of a pair again they're almost setting them up to fail which yeah it, it shouldn't feel like a like you said a test or or you know something that's going to make someone feel so onerous that they're, they're going to freeze in an interview um so yeah that, that great points um moving on kind of to like to the next kind of point, I suppose, whose responsibility would you say it is to ensure a workplace and, and the interview kind of um, hiring process is inclusive? Um, wh whose responsibility would you say it is? Or who, yeah. Everyone yeah. is the easy answer. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, as, go ahead, Leah. I, was, well, I think like 100% I agree, yeah, everyone. But I think for me, like um, it, it starts at the top. Um, so like the top, it has to be, it has to start at the top and filter down. So like the person, the person or people at the top have to be really committed to it. And then they need to embody that themselves. And then um, effectively, you know, expect and require those same standards from everyone else. Like lead by example and expect that from everyone especially the people that are in charge of hiring. But yeah, so like for me, it's, you know, it's so important that that le like top leadership um, is really like invested in that. And then, um, you know, once you filter that down, if they are really invested in it, then it's more effective. Yeah, I agree. I was about to say exactly the same. It's everyone, right? And especially, especially at the top. And that does not start only with like having like the right process and embodying diversity at the individual level, but also start with the diversity at the top level, at the, at the C suit level, at the founder level, right? This is something for founders, for people that they might listen to us. Like if you're if you are trying to drive a diverse company, but I look at the directive suit and I only see white dudes like myself, there that's for me is like I mean I know I'm not white, I'm not cis by men I present this way, right? But you know, when I saw that, it's like, why is no women? Why is no people of color? What, what is the message I sent, right? And then from that, it, you have to drown the, then the policies because that's a lot of companies out there. Like we have all this publicity, but you look at the leadership and it's majoritarily non-diverse. And that is not only diverse in gender, right? Diverse in race, in um, <clears throat> uh, gender identity, whatever. It's also probably diversity of thought. That is like, if you are in a group, if I sit in a room with like five guys from Spain on the IT sector from the north of Spain, we think very, very similarly. So that starts to kill the diversity use at the top. So if that happens like down, nothing is going down. I mean, all the efforts are like the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think it is obviously everyone's responsibility, but I think it has to start at the top. Because if you've got in the top means that, like you said, the C-suite, because ultimately if like you've got middle manager or senior managers, but you know, having a, a, you know, a really um, unconscious view or unbiased view and hiring, 
Um, but that doesn't reflect with the the, the founders. It's it's broken to, to begin with, hasn't it? It's kind of got to work at the at the top down. Um, I suppose. Is there any examples that you've seen where it works really well? I don't know the name companies already, but is there any examples where you've seen it work really well? Where there is that um, from the from the whole wider organisation, or, or badly, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's to be my own horn, but if you look at the leadership of her, right? I mean, it's just like, I, I sound, it sounds like set from team, but I'm not. And I'm always very proud because we have a very diverse leadership team. It's, it's small, we are a startup, but Robin, the founder, have the right idea for this. We are a diverse group of people making a, a pro, making a product that is queer at its inception for queer people, right? Uh, I haven't seen... To be honest, I've seen companies doing great things. This is the most close to me. I, I can't talk because I'm part of it, but there is also um, companies. It usually falls that when the company is like either certain age, like the company has like a long history or like it's a, a start to be a scaling, scaling company in certain industries, the leadership usually tends to be like more male, cis male Caucasians oriented. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. About how about you, Gavin? Have you have you had any experience like like that? Or um, uh, I have. I've had experience where it's successful. I've had experiences where it's not successful. I've even been responsible for like things not being great. Um, one thing I wanted to point out about like working like this is it's uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, if you surround yourself with people who think differently from you and are going to disagree with you and who you want to empower to like point out when they think you're wrong or when they think you could do better, that's not always going to feel so good. That's not always going to be fun. And I think that's one of the barriers to diversity is the, 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 the very real discomfort. You hire someone going, yes, we're going to be diverse. And then they come with all these opinions and they keep telling you're wrong and it's really annoying and we should probably fire that person because they're not a real team player. And I think the challenge for embracing diversity and uh, working and understanding unconscious bias is realizing it's unconscious. You're going to need others to reflect on you and tell you how you can improve, how the process can improve. And it will mean growing and changing and living with that discomfort every day. And I really want to big that up and point that out. Yes, we, we want more diverse teams and organizations, but it's not going to be sunshine and roses to get there and even to stay there. It's going to be hard, painful work. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you got any kind of points on, on, on that, Leah, I suppose? Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's actually a really good point that I hadn't um, necessarily consciously thought of before. That actually, the more diverse your team is, the more uncomfortable it is, and that's so true. And I think you know a lot of people do shy away from discomfort. And I mean, you know, that's why I was really keen to sort of really highlight the unconscious bias in this title because it's so normal. It's like it's so normal to like be attracted to people that look like you, and that doesn't necessarily mean they physically look like you. It's just they share a lot of the same kind of characteristics and. You know, when you're interviewing, it's so easy to just, you know, naturally um, gravitate towards people that are that are like you. So actually, that yeah, that's a really interesting point on um, the the discomfort levels, and actually, that's probably a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. I've certainly, I mean, I've worked in a range of uh, a range of companies. Um, I would say very few have, have been like genuinely diverse. Um, I think some have had more, um, had you know, sort of less white cis men but have typically been 
you know, so I, I worked in a company that was a, like very um, female um, empowerment oriented. So it was, you know, all white women, which was great and a different experience, but they're also not diverse. Um, so, so that, you know, there's that. And then I worked in another company where there was a male CEO and the majority of the rest of the company were female, but because the male CEO didn't have any, any females on his level, there was a lot that was dictated down. And then, you know, he ended up losing a lot of female leadership and bringing a lot of male leadership in. And that was actually just a real shame to see. And I think if he'd appointed any of the women up to like sort of equal level to him, I think a lot of things would have started to run um, smoother on that front. So yeah, I haven't, I think I've seen a lot more of the negatives, but not always. I mean, yeah, I've obviously worked in a lot of um, male only tech teams because that just comes with this country. <laughs> Um, yeah. But yeah, there's a couple, a couple of situations where it's been not necessarily in tech, but in the wider business, um, you know, sh shifted to sort of more women sometimes. And um, that doesn't equal diversity either. Yeah. I, I think on that, a lot of people think diversity is just gender. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I see, I see that so often. Um, yeah, we're looking for a diverse talent pool. Okay. What, what does that mean to you as a client? And 99 point. 99% of the time, they're just looking for gender diversity. And I think that's half yeah. the problem. That doesn't actually make things diverse. Um, no, no, absolutely. And like, I, I've actually been told by companies that I've gotten a job because I because they needed women on the team. Um, yeah. And it's almost like they just check the diversity box and they're like, cool, done now. And it's just not the way it works. And they undo everything by telling you that you were a token hire. And <laughs> I'm like, great job, yeah, it's like whoever was great, you know. Like, cool. So, am I qualified or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it's a some some thought what what they were saying, right? That always fascinates me because we always talk about diversity and how good it is and how it trickles down, and we never flag out like the thing is like if your leadership team is non-diverse, that also trickles down. That also permeates the culture and creates like. Because not as as a sailing glass, you know, it's not a sailing glass. It's literally a, a brick wall there that you know stops the diverse people to come in, stops people who want to change, but also creates a clear culture of like we are we are here to say whatever is needed to get where we want to be by any means necessary. And if the means necessary is hiring like women because we have a quota for representation or telling that we are diverse when we are not. And that's awful. I think a lot of companies get away because people obviously unconscious by is really, really, really uh, tricky to address, but also the culture is, when you're involved in it, it's really hard to take a step back and realize that all those things that they are not clearly overly bad on day to day, but they are like expressing microaggressions, lack of opportunity, lack of diversity, is there and it's a real problem when people say like, oh, the gender gap is closing the industries. It's like, what? In which in which world, in which country, in which universe are you living on? Look around. If you look around a company, and not only a technical company, you will see that women like they are not a majority. And when you scale it to like the um, mid to higher um, manager positions, they are absolutely a minority. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think like the other um, point that. I sort of thing you touched around there that is is really important is um like it, it's it's much easier to be diverse when you're already diverse like if you're interviewing if some, you know if a candidate walks in and they see diversity whether it's in like the leadership team or the general company like whatever it is 
it's easier to attract more diverse people, but like, you know, it's a much, much harder task if you kind of look around and you're like, wow, we are not a diverse company at all. How do we change this? That, I mean, that's a real uphill battle um, and, and is much more challenging. Yeah, I think you got a point there, Gavin, didn't you? Uh Yes, uh, I, I noticed the question that popped up and I was really interested in talking about that. It grabbed me because that is always the first objection I get when I talk about transparent interview questions and I'd love to answer that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let me jump in very quickly and, and yeah. say the question was, how do we ensure competence is not lost if questions are sent to candidates ahead, especially in tech? Yeah. And that's a great question. Um, the answer for me is have good quality questions that it doesn't matter how um, uh, it doesn't matter whether the person is prepared. You know, if the person can Google the answer to the interview question, it's not a good interview question. You shouldn't be asking it. Um, your interview questions need to be about competency, need to be about their actual experience, how they approach problem solving, how they relate to uh, the work, how they do the work. Um, and even then, you can't, uh, surprising candidates is not a good strategy for getting the best out of people. That's one aspect. And B, you can never guarantee you'll surprise, you'll surprise candidates. They might uh, find your interview questions, your tech test on the internet because someone's uploaded to GitHub. That happens if you work at a big company. Um, their friend might work in the company and have slid them all the stuff because it's on the company um, wiki. Like... Or they might just have done a hundred of these interviews and you're asking the same questions everyone else asks. And so, yeah, this is old hat, old news for them. And you're going to think, wow, this person like knows their stuff. They're really well prepared. No, they just done it 20 times. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really it, what it does. And as Leah V, you both said, levels the playing field. You know, we want to advantage someone who is not an extrovert. We want to advantage someone who hasn't done a hundred of these interviews. We want to, we want to get the best out of candidates. We want to see if they can actually do the job. So we craft questions that allow us to see that and give them a chance to prepare means we're going to get better quality answers. They don't come out of the interview office and go, oh, I had a great example of how I solved this kind of problem, but I went blank in the interview. Like that's terrible for the company and terrible for the candidate. Letting them prepare in advance means that like they got all their good stories, their good examples, the good stuff that you want to hear. And then the second follow-up question I often get is, well, what if they lie? Well, then you fire them doing their probation when you see they can't do the job. Let's be real. If they lie so well that you, they get through interview process, you need to fire them because they're a bad yeah. influence. Have, yeah. have probation periods with teeth. That's yeah. my answer. Yeah. And I, uh, if I can add, like, write about, like, especially talking about competencies in tech, um, I will, uh, I will ask myself, I ask myself when I prepare these questions, like, do I want to know if someone can repeat to me how uh, event-driven design is put together, or I want to find out how they are gonna carry on to execute it, right? It's more like questions should not be around, like, oh, tell me. Tell me the points of this, or tell me this definition. That is Googleable, and to be honest, you know, raise your hand if you've been coding and never have ever Google the most basic functions, you know, doing your job. That's part of the job. Using Google and resources effectively, what you need to find out when you prepare these questions is like, what do you want to know about this person? Do you want to know if they can repeat 
information or you want someone that is going to uh, be a team player, com a good communicator, a good influence, as Gavin mentioned, is going to be committed, etc. So that's what you have to do. The interview is not about like how much knowledge you have, it's how you, what you do with that knowledge that you can find. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. I think the, the other area that you can like um, look at to try and help combat as well is um, exactly like V said, like, I mean, you know, for me, so much around tech is teachable. And, it, you know, it depends on what level you're hiring for. Like, you know, do I need you to be able to start a new project and me watch you do that and waste however much time following uh, like, you know, piece of document? Like, no, probably not. And, and like, in reality, I'm sure you've done that 100 times. Um, so like, you know, it, like really digging into like what it is you're trying to get from that candidate is so important. And I think the other area to look at is like personality types. And like this, this is certainly a way that can help reduce the like unconscious bias because you're actually diving into like how people think and their personality and like assessing what personality types you have in your team, identifying what gaps you have, and then, um, you know, targeting, targeting people that have those qualities. Um, so those are ways that you can, um, you know, really, I think, like strip back a lot of a lot of the like, you know, bias and lack of diversity, and um, uh, yeah, and really focus on like things that are like tangibly missing in your team. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think um, you know, I think a lot of people think uh, you know a hiring process starts when you actually start interviewing. Yeah, a hiring process starts when you know people, uh, I suppose, start actually applying to the job or etc. So I suppose like as a tech industry as a whole, what can we do to, to, to help, I suppose, LGBTQ uh, individuals feel more confident applying to roles? You know, it, how, how can we do that, I suppose, as a, as a, as a, as a wider tech community? I think you might be on mute. Yeah, I would say I might go first, like uh, for the LGBTQ uh, I plus community, I think like the best thing is the sincere approach. There is a lot of like unsincere approaches, companies that they are checkboxing and not only on recruitment, but in the, their just way of carrying business, right? They are only, they are only pride on July and they are only pride certain days. Uh, for me, Pride is freaking every day since I'm like being a, a, a wee little lad, you know, because I knew and I, I celebrated. It's hard to come to that, but companies need to understand that the community, we do not live 30 days out there. We live, you know, every day. And, you know, it's the concept of like coming out every single time you have a conversation with a new person. So how that is done, that is done by as well, like diversity and the biases. It's really easy to fall for the biases, both what it can be perceived by someone positive. In tech, in tech, if I do not say I'm not straight, people, they are, their unconscious bias is because I present really cis straight, they assume that I'm, I'm not, right? That's, and that's down to the biases. How do you fight those biases? Well, having like people who still want to challenge, people who is involved, you know, creating the culture of like discussions and openness, giving the space to people to be themselves as well, because you don't need to live out of the closet. That's not an, an option for everyone, you know, but at least if, if they cannot, at least they don't need to be fear that if they get out, there's going to be retaliations or, you know, repercussions to their job, to their life, to their livelihood. So all of that is, um, is a bit of my, based on my experience and what I see, right? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Gav, Leah? Have you? Uh, I, um, I think 
t tell the stories of how you were adaptable. Um, showcase the diversity of your company. Show how, um, yeah, you embrace different ways of thinking and different approaches. Um, like, l let people see it. And like, we used a great word, sincerity. There's so much insincere, like, oh yeah, we're open to all kinds of people. And then you look at the staff conference and everyone looks and seems the same. You know, they're all young or they're all a certain race or gender or whatever. Um, it's, it's insincere. And, you know, I'd rather, if I'd rather companies own their bias and like not pretend that they are going to be transparent, not pretend that they are welcoming the, um, show, show a rainbow flag on pride month energy is, is just poor because, you know, uh, last day of that month, we turn the pride flag off and we're back to business as usual and hiring as usual. So yeah, uh, make visible the actual real work that you do. That is part of the DNA of the organization to, to be diverse and to embrace the discomfort of difference. Yeah. Um, if you want to say something later, go on. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was just going to kind of build on what everyone's um, like already been saying. And, and I guess just to add, like, you know, use all the tools that you already have out there. So like, you know, use your website, like have a section on um, the diversity in your team, things that you offer, whether it's um, specific like events. So um, it, like, you know, I've, I've heard of um, sort of specific like uh, meetups within companies specifically for LGBTQ community and like Slack channels and, um, you know, whatever groups that, that you're um, trying to make more comfortable, um, you know, highlight that on your website, put it on your job spec so that people before they're even applying can see that. And, um, you know, obviously some companies are just going to pay lip service to these things, but I think at least actively choosing to highlight to highlight that is giving you a reasonable chance then. Huh? Yeah, I think there's a, um, you, you mentioned, this is a good question from Binder here around, um, yeah, unconscious bias. Do, do, do you want to, do you want to take that on? Yeah, yeah. Um, Bimbo, thank you for the question. Uh, it's a fair question, but I'm going to challenge that that, bias, that unconscious bias you're having there, right? You are asking how you're going to attract good candidates if you give them the, the question, right? Assuming that only good candidates can be surprised and answer correctly your questions. So the questions you ask, they can be anything. And the, the interview is not only about the questions itself. I mean, you need the questions to assess the data, but the conversation is you're going to sit with someone, you're going to have like 45 to an hour conversation minimum. So you as a hiring manager also need to have the skill set to identify their strengths and assess or try to assess the early signs of strengths to enrich your team. Given that, given that, that kind of thinking is like it's an unconscious bias. Uh, I'm not calling you out. It's very common. I've seen it before, but it's a great example like why unconscious bias exists because you we are categorizing off the bat people that we haven't met in good and bad based on the expectation of like if they know what i'm gonna ask they might cheat and then you fall already you are falling in the in the unconscious bias and you're starting your process on the wrong foot right so leveling the field is going with the assumption as well that i like to live by the the maximum that the, assume good intention from everyone until I can prove it's not right. If if I have to, so that's how you should move on, on these things. I mean, good candidates will come, and better candidates probably will come if they know you. If you publicize your uh, hiring process and you made explicit that you're going to answer the questions, that you're going to be adaptable, and you're going to accommodate, the good candidates will show up. 
And the good candidate, as I said before, is not the guy who, or the girl, or the woman who can, you know, repeat information sensely. That's what you do in a school. You memorize and then you put it out. And then if you do that, you don't learn. You get, you want the people that is going to enrich not only your technical team, but the culture of the company by enabling others to be better and getting better themselves. And that is, is you're never going to find a question that you cannot share beforehand that of someone that will not be able to do that. Yeah. Go on, Gav. I, I want to add that like um, interviews are super artificial and there's a lot of skills that make you great at interviewing and maybe not so great in your job. And uh, like we're all biased to someone who can give a great answer off the cuff that really hits all the right notes. Like it feels good in an interview, but then you go to your job and what you really want is someone who goes, hmm, I need time to research that. I need to work with some of my peers. I need to get some rage from the team. I'll come back to you by Friday with an answer. That's good, but you can't do that in an interview, but you can get the same energy by giving them the questions and giving them time to prepare. So you undermine your own bias of like uh, extroverts. I'll just call them extroverts. People are good on the spot. Um, and you undermine the bias of uh, like how real work is done in the real world and how different it is from interviews. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's like last point on that, on that like what is best? Like if you're, if you're talking about like attracting the best candidates. Well, you might have like five people in your team already that tick that best candidate box that you're gonna be attracting by surprising people in an interview. So by releasing those questions ahead of time, maybe you're attracting somebody that would never have walked through the door otherwise um, and, and might be better in a different way. Like maybe not on paper, they might not be like, you know, the quickest developer in the entire world. They might not have necessarily like, you know, the same, um, you know, ex experience levels, but they might be better in other ways that you're missing. Yeah, I think um, we, 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 we do like a, it internally when we're, we're hiring, um, we actually different from tech, we actually do a competency interview where we ask people to, but we actually give the, the, the questions to people beforehand. Um, yeah, because you can still determine for me whether somebody's going to be a good fit given the question beforehand. And, and, and obviously if somebody then doesn't also doesn't then prepare, obviously, you know, they, do they, do they then actually want to work for the business as well? I think that's a, a good parameter as well. So no, I really like the idea of actually pre-prepared questions, but I think it's very, very few and far between. Um, I've, I've never really seen it a lot in practice. It's almost like I said, seen as we don't want to give it year because if we give it year, you'll, you'll wing the interview and it, uh, it, it doesn't really work because an interview should be a discussion, right? In, in 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 our opinion, so if someone's nobody can pre-prepare a whole hour discussion, it's impossible. <laughs> um, yeah, call Gav. Sorry, I wanted to say one more thing that's really important about interviews is panels and diverse interview panels, like. In terms of undermining unconscious bias, I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do is to have a, um, a, a diverse group of people, like diversity of thought, diversity of presentation. Not only is it good for the candidate, but it's good for the hiring manager. And I've got a story about that. Like I interviewed a candidate and I thought they were great. They had the right energy. They had the right like uh, experience and enthusiasm and opportunity. And I got to the interview wash up and I said to my panel, like, I love this person. They're an they're instant hire for me. I'd hire them right now if I could. And my panel was like, no, what? No. And we went through our 
normal debrief process and they pointed out all the red flags that I'd missed. And it really became aware to me that this person had ticked all the boxes for me that day in terms of my kind of person. I saw myself in them. I was like, this is my kind of person. I want them around me. And because of that, I'd ignored the red flags. I'd overlooked the stuff where they hadn't actually demonstrated competence. And my panel was able to say, no, you're missing the mark here, buddy. And we didn't end up uh, moving forward with that person. And it was because I had a panel who disagreed with me. If it's just me hiring, you're going to get a bunch of people that look like me or that look like what I think good is. And I'm just one person. Um, so unconscious, undermining your own unconscious bias, you can never do it, but you can have people around you with different biases that can call you out. Yeah, great, great point. Great point. I think um, that leads nicely kind of on to, and some of the sort of in touch, but, uh, you know, it, without, you know, you don't have to name names, but I don't know, Lee, you've already touched on a couple, but, you know, where have you seen, you know, unconscious by or heard about unconscious by recurring and how has that kind of come about, I suppose? So have you got any examples where you've seen or heard where it actually has occurred and how has that occurred from conscious bias? Yeah, it, it occurs. Um, I mean, I think it's in, in companies I work uh, where hiring processes and like later on, like decision-making processes that were like heavily biased by the collective, like non-diverse group, right? But I can talk about my experience as well. As I think it, it also resonates with what Kevin was saying of like missing red flags because my positive unconscious bias, right? Talking with someone that they are openly like queer and they are great technically and they go to the interview really well prepared, telling me everything I wanted to know in one of my previous companies. Um, I have experienced that. And so I seen that it's, 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 it does not feel well, right? Because it's like, oh, I really like this person. Uh, I see as well more uh, systematic uh, unconscious bias. Um, the name is someone, this is someone that is very close to me. Um, the bias of like um, around race, uh, this person is is of um, is Asian. It's, uh, they, they were born in Southeast Asia, moved, moved to London and they have lost count of the time that people have asked them if they speak Chinese of the bat during first days. Uh, that's a massive, I mean, that's, uh, it's racism, but it's also an unconscious bias, like assuming that because someone is, it looks some, some, uh, in some way or form, right? They are going to be, uh, speaking Chinese or being, and it's nothing bad about speaking Chinese, right? But they, they are not Chinese. They are the same way that someone asked me like, oh, are you Italian? No, I'm not. I don't speak Italian. But it's this, those examples of bias that they are root in all these systemic problems, right? Because unconscious bias is not an artificial an artificial thing that happens on isolation, happens around like systemic problems like uh, misogyny, racism, um, ablazing, whatever you want to do. And, um, and a lot of companies embrace these things without knowing it because they have these preconceptions and they don't fight them. They fight, they do what we're talking about this, about the lip service, the, the, the signaling of like, we are diverse, but they don't do the work. Um, I've seen a lot of examples. I mean, one of the companies I work in London, you will look around and they were like a lot of, of women, you know, uh, but every time they, they spoke, no one listened. Um, and the ones who were listening, they're like, why are you not 
listening to them. They are, they are way smarter. And what I said is what they what they said before. Uh, and it's like, yeah, it's very common. Unfortunately, it's very hard. And a lot of companies they do not put the effort in train people because you cannot you cannot challenge your own biases. You need people around you to challenge and be open about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think well, I think also like obviously the topic of the discussion today is um, around hiring, but um, it's it's really important to bring up like you know how you treat each other on a day to day in the company as well. Um, and and I know like I've had jobs where being the only woman on a team, um, the company has just like automatically given me responsibility to organize social events and you know do do all these like you know things that come nowhere near my job description. And there was no concept of sharing it out. There was no asking the team who would volunteer for it. It was just automatically given to me. And these things are work. Like, you know, they they, they take time. And like, why why is that just given to me automatically? Because I'm the only only woman, and, um, you know, and, and as V pointed out as well, like, um, you know, are you actually, if you have a lot of women, that's great, but are you listening to them? You know, I, I certainly had, had a company, you know, was working in a company that was, more heavily female, but the the women weren't having as a big impact in the decision making, um, and and that's a problem too. And um, you know, as you pointed out earlier as well, like you know, a, a lot of companies will look at their quotas overall um, rather than at every level. And like the higher up you get, the you know the worse diversity tends to be. So I think um, you know, um, like widening that topic to like how how are you talking to people. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis and and like that ability to call it out i think like people get scared to call people out on things and don't want to offend anyone and don't want to make anyone uncomfortable but um i think it's really important to um encourage an environment where you can call people out and and like you know not to embarrass them just to you know that's the only way to create change yeah yeah perfect um did you have something there gav or no <laughs> Perfect. So I suppose, obviously, contrary to time, seems like it's um, the, the hour's nearly gone, but I suppose that there's been a couple of like points around this, but as a leader, obviously, you know, three, three leaders, etc. how do you ensure that, you know, it filters down to the wider team and to, to, avo to avoid unconscious bias? Do any of you want to start, Gav? uh systems and processes like um it i think leah touched on it earlier when we spoke about everyone being responsible for addressing this yes everyone is responsible but we have power and influence over the systemic issues the culture of the company the structures and processes in place that someone a small i seen some team can't change like the hiring process but we can and um, the challenge for us is that often these things don't affect us. The things that affect people that are being recruited, people that are new in career, people that are juniors. Like I, I, I talk to juniors, but I've forgotten what it was like being new in the industry. I literally have no idea. And even if I could remember, like starting out in 1996 is very different from starting out in 2023. Um, so it's very much about uh, listening and empathizing with others and the true empathy of believing other people's experience, even when it doesn't match your own. And then thinking about how we can impact and improve the systems that we have so much influence and power over to make it better for everyone and not just us. And then also 
teaching people how to disagree, teaching people how to call that out, teaching people that it's safe to um, ask questions and to push back, but also understanding that people who've never done that before or never been empowered to do that before or just new are probably not going to be very good at it. They're going to say it in ways that are hurtful and mean and maybe inaccurate. And as a leader, being able to model good listening and being able to embrace that energy and that uh, pushback and yes, and and make positive change is, is can be really powerful. Yeah, I think yeah. like I think um, what you said about like creating a safe space is so important. And like that's something that as a leader, like you you are really responsible for is making sure that you're creating a safe space for the whole, you know, for every employee that you have there. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do you, obviously for, you know, for, you know, leaders, et cetera, who are quite experienced in interviewing, how, what, what about, you know, people who aren't experienced in interview, do, do we need the, do we need to give them, how do we give them training on, on, on this sort of thing? Cause you touched on that there, which is a great point. How, how do we get them to be, have that, do, do we need to take them on a wider interview panel to, to, to kind of learn? Cause it is a skill interview in, you know, being a, an interviewer is a, is a skill. So how do we do that? That's a plus of uh, wide panels for me. I like panels of four. That's the number that I enjoy. It's really labor and time intensive, um, but it means you get to just bring someone on with like limited experience. You get who's never interviewed before or who whose job role is wildly different from what you're interviewing for. You can bring like a completely non-tech person to a tech interview panel because they'll still have something to share and they'll get to learn and train. So I think diverse panels is a great way of teaching people, but then also just general, like um, out of interview training, talking about unconscious bias, talking about hiring strategies, talking about um, how to get the best from candidates and why we do what we do. We're not just doing this stuff because we're chasing diversity to tick a box. We're like, diversity means we ship better quality products. We're going to make more money by appealing to a wider range of users. This is good stuff. This is why we're doing that. Um, so yeah, definitely teaching people not just the practice, but the philosophy behind it. Yeah. Anything, V or Leah, that you'd, you'd like to add on that? Or? Yeah, about leadership and unconscious bias and the, the gap said something that is very impactful like a lot of things that not affect leaders not only interviewing process you are not in the weeds of day-to-day -day work of execution you are focused usually three six nine months ahead so a lot of things are not there right so i think one of the most powerful tools for a leader to fight your unconscious bias is have that uh the relationship with your peers and your your teams to be able to be called out and have the enough self-awareness to listen when do so. It's very easy to be called out and become defensive. So I think that it's important. It's, it's part of a culture and your own core values, you know, as a person. But I think that that's really the most effective tools, like being and always talking, you know, with like being conscious what you are talking about, like making sure that obviously unconscious bias is there, but trying to analyze how you go through life, how you do your job and what you talk, you, you can learn. I mean, when people call you out, you need to listen and you need to also reassure everyone that is not your peer as a leader, that is one, someone reporting to one of your other uh, reports, that they can walk to you straight ahead and say like, 
sorry, V, I have some feedback for you about something that you said or you've done. Is that do you want this feedback now? You want it later? And you are should be like there and say like, oh, I would love to hear this feedback. And if it's bad because you you fail, acknowledge, apologize, and learn. I think that's one of the most powerful tools. Have that communication, that open communication. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think just to build on that as well, because like um, receiving feedback can be actually giving feedback can be really uncomfortable. Receiving feedback can be uncomfortable. Or, like the whole feedback experience is uncomfortable. And I think, um, you know, you, you have to as a leader be really open to um, like encouraging feedback to be given and then also making sure that you take it like, you know, even if it's something that actually hurts you, which it very likely might, like you need to make sure that whoever gave you that feedback feels like they can do it again because if you shut them down or if you get defensive or you you know like make them feel uncomfortable they're never going to come back to you again yeah no great point great point i'm obviously conscious of time it seems it seems like only a minute ago we started and stuff like that um has anyone kind of got any final points on, on the topic to kind of round round it off at all or one couple of final points wanted to discuss go on leah no, I was just because I feel like we covered some good ground. I, ju I just noticed a, a question that um, I then got distracted trying to read. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry. Um, I think it's from Bimmo again and talking about. Um, so it's quite quite a long long question. So um, around existing in a two per, he feels like I'm conscious bias may exist in a two person or more interview. Um, I think he's, yeah, so I don't know if any of you would, would, would want to answer that kind of question. I read the question and yeah, it sounds like you had a crappy interview and I'm sorry you had that experience. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's human nature to want to read into the subtleties and how people behaved and then try and adapt your own behavior to like succeed in the interview next time. Sometimes you just got to take away that that was a bad interview and maybe the interviewers like didn't understand their unconscious bias and didn't know how to interview well and missed out on you and what you had to bring to the company. That sucks. Uh, keep trying, keep, keep going to interviews. You'll, you'll find uh, places that are able to help you shine. Yeah, yeah. actually to, to be fair, Gav, I, I was thinking like when you were talking about the four person panels. Um, mm. I was actually thinking from a candidate perspective, like that can be intimidating, but actually, again, yes. And that's, that's, yeah, please push but, back uh, on know, that. That's a very important pushback. It, no, it is. And like, it's really valid, but I think again, like that's not on you as the candidate that's on the company and the panel of people to make you feel comfortable. And like, as interviewers, we're not always going to get it right. Like a candidate might walk out and we collectively might be like, I think we made that feel awkward for them. But like, again, it's, it's important to reflect and respond on like, you know, your own gut feeling on how it went, because that candidate needs to be able to interview you as well and find out if you're offering what they want. And so, it, you know, it really is a two-way street. And so, you know, like experimenting with different formats and ways that you can get four people involved in an interview process without making the candidate uncomfortable, like that's on the company to to do. Yeah, I, I have just done on that final point. I have seen it before where companies give people an option that, that where they may say you can have four 20 minute chats with four different people. So one from product, one maybe even from sales in, in tech, right? And um, I actually feel like all we can all join together. Um, obviously, the, 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 the labor, um, you know, time is obviously better spent doing it that way, but giving people an option, maybe it's joined by a panel of four. So giving actual people an option 
um, you know, could could be the way to go there. Some people might feel that's intimidating. Some people might prefer that, etc. And like you said, it all depends on on how that interview is actually structured and taking place to make people feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a great point. And and like like I've said, Bimbo, I think you may have just had a bad experience. You know, there there aren't there's some not so great companies out there that that, that don't take this sort of stuff seriously. Um, yeah, so obviously, thanks so much for your time. Obviously, I, I massively appreciate you, you joining us. I think um, I've learned so much today um, from, from from yourselves. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people um, will have, and I think I think it's all around sharing experiences. Um, all about you know, like I said, interviewing is a skill. Um, skills improve, so just always trying to to improve and be. Yeah, being able to take that um, unconsciousness away from from actually hiring um, is difficult to do. But I think, like we said, if we can train, learn, and develop off off other peers, that's a great way to do it as well. In in my opinion. So yeah, just want to thank you all for your time, and uh, yeah, um, hope everything's um, super successful over the next few months for you all. Thank you. All yeah, right, awesome. thanks so much. Have a great day. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.